Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of One Vision. Today, we have Oriol Ohayan, CEO at Zengo, joining us from Tel Aviv. Thanks for joining us, Oriol. Thank you for having me. Great. So let's start warming ourselves up into this conversation. Um, can you please tell us a little bit about your journeys into Web3 and what really, what, what was the point where you decided, okay, I'm going to go found Zengo and this is the use case I'm going after. So the story is actually very, very boring, uh, except that I was incredibly curious and uh, I found it incredibly compelling to get into that space. So initially, you know, everyone says that and it's harder, it's easy to actually start. It's very hard to stay and to, to keep at it in this industry because there is a gazillion reason you should stop, right? It's like highly stressful. Everyone hates it. <laughs> You know, it, it has more downs than ups. The regulator doesn't like it. And uh, hackers, I want to hack you all the time. But personally, I found it ex extremely exciting. I found it at the time extremely exciting. I've been two decades in tech to, ma to make it simple. I've been on both sides of the coin, pun intended, like, you know, both like building companies and investing in startups. And I was always involved in building applications or in companies building applications on top of other platforms. And those applications at some point had, had a death threat, right? Because they were built on the platform that could turn them off. We still see that today in 2023, you know, in the app stores, in Twitter, in Facebook, in all those platforms that can really turn off developers like that. And for me, the starting point was when I understood that you could build application that could become unstoppable. Uh, or at least in theory, unstoppable or way harder to stop. Let's put it in more pragmatic terms. And so for me, that was really the, the meaningful starting point. And from there, I went through the rabbit hole understanding how that was possible. What was money? What was the meaning of money? Why money was so broken, which I had no idea before that. And as I realized what was really happening and what was the potential, I found it compelling enough to say, all right, this has to be probably one of the next biggest invention in human technology for the past you know, 100 years. And so I want to be part of that. And I wanted to dedicate myself to building something in that space. So that was kind of the, the shortcut to like I, where I was before and what I realized that got me triggered into it. Now, why did I choose to build the company that I'm in, which is called Zango? It's a crypto wallet. Why did I decide five years ago that it was meaningful to build a crypto wallet at the time, just for the context, there were already 100, maybe 200 crypto wallets. So why on earth do you also need another crypto wallet? Well, I was interested in two aspects. The first one was that I found that all of them were deeply broken in terms of user experience, but also in terms of security. But more importantly, I realized that, that crypto wallet was probably going to become one of the most important pieces of software ever built in, in the entire, not just crypto industry, but at all, because this is this kind of trusted interface that is the gateway to everything in crypto. So I found a problem that was very important to solve and that was poorly solved. And so that got me to spend time into it. And here I am five years later. So that's kind of the short version of this long journey. That's that's super interesting. I I've been following Zenko in a way because I was a wallet user of of um, MetaMask and obviously I lost my seat face. Who hasn't? Eh? Um, 
Uh, so, Welcome so, to the club. <laughs> yeah, and hence, you know, I've been following Zengo uh, for a while. I think I love to understand a little bit on Zengo's vision going forward. You mentioned that there are a lot of wallets in the market at the moment. I understand the, you know, current, um, I would say, value proposition of Zengo, but I also love to understand where are you taking it forward. Um, that's quite interesting to me as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts because the the, the market changed a lot uh, from five years ago. Um, and yeah. I'm pretty sure it will change again in the next six months. Um, so, so yeah. Well, yeah. The, the problem with, with crypto wallet is that you can lose them, right? This is exactly what happened to you, right? Yeah. You can lose them. And there is a reason that you can lose them is because all crypto wallets require from the user to be the guardian of the critical secret, which is the seed phrase. Okay, you can name it differently. You can call that a private key or whatever, but there is this single secret, which if lost is uh, putting your business to an end. And so that's the structural problem with uh, crypto wallets, not necessarily because they are difficult to use or because they look a bit clunky or because they're not nice looking, but that's really a structural deep DNA issue that has to do with how they think about security by design. All wallets are telling you, and you all, you all have seen that screen at some point, big red warning, here is something, keep it somewhere safe. It's usually a seed phrase. And if you lose it, it's game over, don't contact us. And it's inimaginable in 2023 that to build such an important industry and going forward even bigger, assuming that most people are going to want to do that. That's absolute insanity. It, to me, it's still insane that there are companies, tens of them, hundreds of them, that are building on that principle. That makes absolutely no sense. I do get the benefits of like, okay, now you're in control and no one can get it from you. But we also know it doesn't work. How do we know billions of dollars of crypto lost forever to, well, people prefer custodian solutions versus non-custodial solutions. Why? Because there is a phone number to call at if something happens. And so the, the idea that if I am the user, I am the responsible for my own whatever, makes no sense. Like that's something that is completely at the opposite of what is expected from a normal person to be doing. So that's kind of the problem today with the solutions. And while you say the market is, is different, well, it is different because there is more player and because the industry is bigger. But the, the industry is absolutely not different in the sense that it is still built on the same critical security by design process, which is be in charge of your security. And that doesn't work. And it doesn't matter that you're using a software wallet. It doesn't matter you're using a hardware wallet. It doesn't matter you're using an extension. They are all the same. At the end of the day, it's what they ask you by default. And so we refuse to accept that re reality at Zango. We, we think that there is a better way to do and we, we, by the way, we're not alone. I think there are now, if there is a change, it's, you know, to my great pleasure to see that there is other companies to, that refuse to accept this reality. And sometimes with similar or other ways, say, all right, there is other ways to resolve that problem of like being in control, but having still the security of your funds. And so this is where Zango comes into play. So what do we do at Zango? We build a crypto wallet that you cannot lose. 
Okay, it sounds like very simple as a proposition, but as just described, it's actually very hard to do. No one has ever managed to build something like that. And so how do we do that? We're using a different type of cryptography. We're using multi-party computation, which is today a buzzword in the industry. Everyone is kind of saying that uh, left and right. We started with that four years ago, deep field of research, a territory that we master, an open source cryptography library that we've contributed to the industry, a lot of like IP around it. And basically what it does, it allows you to create a wallet without single point of failure, without the, this single secret that you can lose. And that has the property of being recoverable in nearly every single situation. If you lose your phone, if you lose your email, if you look like anything that can happen, you can always re recover your funds and this without having to remember or write down a secret. And so it sounds like a minor difference. It's a huge step function improvement. The, the wallet has other properties, but that's really the starting point of Zango, a wallet that you cannot lose because there is nothing to lose, right? There is no single secret that you can lose and the recovery makes it so that you will you will recover your, your fund even if you lose your fund. So that's kind of how Zango started. And then there was a path forward on how we improve the product over time. It's it's funny, sorry, just, just a side comment on this uh, before you ask the next question. It's funny, in blockchain world, we try to advocate for no single point of failure. Turns out, <laughs> seed phrase is the single point of failure um, for 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 us as as a consumer. It's funny. I'm sorry. I, I just suddenly thought of that. I, 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 let, let me even pinpoint even more the problem. The single point of failure is not necessarily the seed phrase. Yeah. The single point of failure is the user. The the biggest risk in crypto is what you are going to do to yourself. I don't know how you lost your seed phrase. But we've seen this story of, uh, over and over again. People write it down on a piece of paper, which is usually provided to you. And then this piece of paper gets, you know, lost somewhere or you wrote different way the word you thought you were writing the right way or you put it in a place and that place has gone. Like the single point of failure is the decision that you make when you think you are good at security. That's really the single point of failure. So the, the solution is how do you create a system where you take that kind of 100% chances of making an error to something like is close to zero, right? And that's really what we're trying to do at Zango. That's brilliant, uh, Aurel, because um, we, we've spoken at length on the security part. I wanted you to really talk about MPC because I'm, I'm a big fan of that as well as, um, but I also wanted to highlight something here as a user. Um, and I'm not being paid to say this by Aurel. I just am a big fan of the Zengo experience. Um, and I think this, I, I mean, I've, I've used so many different wallets, crypto wallets. I don't even know how many of them I, I have used in the, in the last few years. And the most seamless experience for a crypto wallet that I have ever had was Zengo, full stop. There's, there's, there's no second thoughts about it. So- um, Music to my ears, thank you. <laughs> it, it's brilliant because I, I've come across really cool technologies in this space. There is no lack of great developers, really cool engineers in this space. But what we haven't really had is how do we convert or how do we package that tech with good user experience? And that that is what I think Zengo have really done well. And I just have to highlight that. And a couple of other things I know I've been following on Twitter, following you on Twitter. 
and I know you 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 were you were highlighted by or you you basically Brian Armstrong came around and said he was a big fan of what you guys are doing as well, which is which is great. And the other bit that I really want to highlight is the Chat GPT moment where Chat GPT came out and said you're the second most um, uh, secure crypto wallet. Um, so, is there anything you would like to add around that? Because it's one is the engineering DNA, but the other one is the user experience DNA. How did you manage to get these two, both these things working um, so well in your organization? So the first thing I would say is like ChatGPT has still room for improvement because until we are number one, <laughs> it's not good enough. <laughs> so <laughs> number two doesn't cut it. Uh, so, but more seriously, I, I think the reason we have we have reached that point of being a, a, a reference in the industry, being known in the industry, where there's this sea of crypto wallets, is not so much because we're using MPC. I mean, you're going to see this year tens of solutions built on MPC, right? M maybe more, I don't know. I, it doesn't matter. The same way you've seen like crypto wallets built on smart contracts and multi-wallets built on multi-sig, it's not about the technology, but more about how you think about the user experience because the user experience is what defines the security level. It's the, it's one and the same thing. So, and I come back to the, to the, the, the principle. Okay. How do you build a system where you reduces the chances of human errors? It so happens that every time you ask someone to take a decision, whether this decision is choosing a password, is choosing an add-on, is choosing an additional security factor. Every time there is an additional thing that is asked from someone, it is a step for human error. Every single time. Needless to say, having to back up a seed phrase is a number of times that you're going to have to make that decision and possibly that error. And that results eventually into a cascade of cascading effects of being, uh, of being trapped into your own decisions. So, what we've tried to do as Zango is not just to use a technology, the MPC technology that distributes security and neutralizes single point of failure, but create an onboarding or and recovery process that reduces the number of decisions that a human has to make. Okay, so to describe it in essential terms, you arrive, the first thing that you ask is an email. You can be any email, can be an anonymous email. We don't care who you are. So we don't collect any personal data. So you put your email. We don't ask you a password there because it's already a decision. So we're sending you instead a magic link. The decision that you have to make is to click on it or not click on it. Very hard to make a mistake at that state. Okay. Number two, we're going to ask you to grant a permission to a cloud service of your choice that you control. Could be iCloud, Google Drive or Dropbox. No mistake there. You grant it or you don't. Okay. There's no possibility of like making a, a, a potential error there. And the third step that we're going to ask you is to scan, a f uh, to do a live biometrics on your phone, locally encrypted, anonymous of your face. There's nothing to write down or anything. You have to just be you, right? And for all of those steps, there is fallbacks like additional email, additional cloud, additional trusted face in case something happens. And that's it. You are in the wallet, one, two, three, takes about 10 seconds, and you are in a wallet without having to write down or remember anything. The value of that is that you don't have to kind of decide something particular, something new, right? You just have to go and follow the funnel. Number two, because it's based on who you are, it cannot be used by someone that is not you. And so what that, what that means is that even if your email was hacked, or even if your iCloud was hacked, 
No one can get into your system. We've seen that case many, many times. Sim swapping, whatever. Like, so it protects you even against the cases where you would compromise your own email and your own cloud. And so that's how Zango works. I mean, there is a lot more to it. But as you understand from the process, compare that to any other system and try to compare the number of human errors you can make in the process. And you will see there is very few. What, what I particularly love about the, the example that you just gave is actually aligned with your Patreon, secure, simple, all-in-one. And, and that kind of resonates a lot with me, especially thinking about applications and what it requires the user to do. And what you just did is it requires minimal of the user, but yet it's still secure. I guess my, my question to you then, um, you mentioned earlier, on, this is a little bit of a site, sorry, Arun. Um, you mentioned that you will never rest until you get to number one because there's still room improvement for ChatGPT. Question is, what do you have to do to get to number one? Just It's just yeah. a little bit of a question. How do you think about it? Because I think it would be very interesting to hear your thoughts. So a wallet job to be done is like actually fairly complex. People think that crypto wallet is a commodity, but when you realize everything that has to be done by a crypto wallet, the amount of work is insane. And so there is basically three dimensions. You have the type of assets that you, that you support, like the blockchains. Zango is a multi-chain support, truly multi-chain. It's not just Ethereum, EVM, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Tezos, Ethereum, Polygon, etc. Et we always need to add more blockchains. So we need to, to improve at supporting way more blockchains there. And every time we add a blockchain, it's a massive effort because the security, the QA, the integration with all the services, the customer support around it. So better, better asset support. Number two is the financial services that are built into the wallet. So today you can buy, sell, swap, uh, in the wallet, we, we need to add a lot more. We need to add staking. We had, we need to add decentralized exchanging, not just centralized exchanging, or like all these kind of things we can, yeah, that you can do in the wallet without having to go outside. You can, of course, connect the wallet to any application and do it outside, but the convenience is important. So it has to be baked into the wallet. So the, the f financial function and free. And I should have started with that. It's the most important one is security. It sounds like we have covered all the territories of security and it sounds like security is a done deal in the industry. It is not. It is an infinite number of problems that are not yet been resolved, not just by us, but by the entire industry. And that's a, going to be an enormous area of focus for us this year. There is a number of new services, some that are pretty unprecedented in the industry that will put Zango and we make it really stand out compared to any other wallet in the planet in terms of like the type of protection in term, in certain cases that you want to be completely fully protected. So as you understand right now, we protect really well your account. Okay. When you, you want to onboard and recover, but, uh, I didn't mention it. We have also transactional protection to protect you from applications that are malicious when you interact with applications. So we've launched the first free web free firewall that tells you what you're about to sign before you sign it. So you don't lose your NFTs and your apes and all these kind of things. But there is a lot more that can be done in transactional security and protection. And also in terms of personal safety personal safety and security. So those are going to be enormous uh, areas of investment and innovation that we're going to bring this year. And in terms of stack function improvement, think about it the same way that you can compare Zango to any other wallet. It will be this type of nature of improvement in quality, but in new fields that today 
most crypto wallets don't protect you from. So this is really going to be an enormous area of focus. Uh, asset support, we started with that, financial services, but mostly security. And you were asking about the roadmap and, you know, competition and how we stand out. I, I think this is really going to be one of the most important field and one of which, one in which we're going to stand out uh, because of the foundations we've built so far. Absolutely. I think, sorry, Aaron, do you want to go next? So I, I just got to make a slight comment. I think that makes a lot of sense. Security, asset, and also the activities in which you can do within within your wallet. And I guess um, how, how I think about it is your wallet is your windows into web-free world. And, and that's why yeah. by providing the personal safety to transactional security, the asset support as well, all the different activities kind of just allow you to do that. Um, sorry, Arun, you have question i saw you so i mean i i just have to get a bit technical here Oriel, because um kind of uh i do kind of uh cross chain transactions i work on ethereum i work on solana two of the my favorite or mostly used uh chains at this point um, and and i often find that cross chain transactions are a bit of a pain i have to go through to a bridge and 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 and, and move things around and all that uh, so that is one of the use cases. I think you touched upon the uh, connectivity to exchanges, both DEX and uh, the centralized exchanges in terms of how you can offer uh, staking and all that. So are you are you seeing a world where, as, as kind of Max mentioned and referred to, my wallet would be my window into this whole thing and these banking, I mean, doesn't have to be Web3 banks and exchanges, but it could also be um, the current banking environment probably offering central bank digital currency. And do you see a world where all these things, we can just look into that financial world, as our asset base through our wallet. Um, and when we are probably talking to a more regulated space, you will pass on our real world identities. And when you're talking to some of the Web3 anonymous activity, then you will just pass on our whatever interactions happen there without revealing our actual identities. Do you see that? that is that where the world is going? Uh, yes, in a way. Uh, so first, I think we want to zoom out. I think the world of wallets is split in two types of categories. Okay, I'm putting aside all the custodial. I'm talking about the on-chain wallet, the one that are truly native to the, to the blockchain where the activity actually happens where the user is in control. So today you have two types of wallets. You have the personal wallets, the category in which we're in. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a user chosen by the user. It's a wallet, sorry, chosen by the user that is a primary point of entrance and point of exit to many, many different services, blockchains and application and agnostic to all of them. So personal wallets and you would have there, uh, all, all the big players, right? The hardware wallets, the ledger, the Coinbase wallet, the trust wallet, personal wallet. And you have a second category, the embedded wallets, the wallets that are specific to an application that usually you find by way of social logins and that are specific to that application and to that application alone. And you could have hundreds, hundreds of them, but at some point you want to check out of those wallets to consolidate them into your personal primary wallet. And today you have kind of this two dimension uh, approach to how to, to build the wallet. We are in the first, both are going to thrive, but eventually, you know, human nature 
cannot re be reinvented. People like simplicity and they like solutions that make them life simpler, faster, and cheaper. And so having a point of consolidation into, let's call that the remote control of what allows you to operate on the blockchain, regardless of the chain, regardless of the service, regardless of the nature of the app that you want to use, is a, a deep human fundamental need. We've seen it already on the web. We've seen it in art and music and culture uh, with MP3, uh, with movies and streaming, and it's going to repeat itself. It's repeating itself as we speak in crypto. And so I do believe that there will, that those, this category of personal wallet as primary point of entrance and exit is a fundamental human uh, need. It's answering to a critical function. And this is why, you know, those are so popular. Okay, so we are not the biggest wallet. We will be one day, but you know, we're servicing already 800,000 plus registered users. So it's already a lot of people in crypto. And I think this year we will pass 1 million easily, probably more. And so people want that. They want kind of that application that is bundled that simplifies their choices so that they don't have to add on extensions and plugins and scripts and cables and vaults and all these kind of things that drive everyone nuts. And I think the necessity of simplification is a core fundamental value proposition in crypto. It's actually, I believe, very underserved. The problem is in crypto, it's really, really hard to make things simple. Like, if people try Zango, they, they will, they will be surprised by the fact that we can speak about it for 30 minutes because it's so simple. But the reality is that it's incredibly sophisticated behind the scene. And to arrive to this type of results, there were tens of people that work on it for thousands of hours and hours and hours and hours to arrive to this point of simplification and security. And so I, I think the way forward, if I have to, to look into how this market is going to evolve, I think this industry is going to become way more complex versus way more simple. And that the job of a wallet, which is, of course, to be safe by default, is also to be simple by default. And, and the combination of both critically matter because more complexity usually is not going to with more simplicity. Okay, and the more security, it's the opposite. But our mission is to try to keep the right balance between both. And I think eventually wallets are beginning to become important, not just for trading crypto, but anything that requires an asset to be produced or to be shown or to be proven. And when you think about it in real life, there are so many cases where we need to do that, right? You need to, uh, to prove that you have a certificate for this, a COVID uh, test for that, a ticket to get to, into an airplane or a concert to see uh, whoever uh, that you like, uh, you know, uh, and, and a, a place, a, a, a diploma to get to an exam and then move to the next stage of your, your studies, uh, a resume so that you can get interviewed, like so many, many places where you need to have kind of this deposit or repository for proofs. And I think this is what crypto wallets are. They are a repository of proofs that you can conveniently, uh, that, that you can secure and that you can conveniently use in different cases of life. It so happens that trading is one of them. Okay. And, and I think this is what we are going to see moving forward. And this is why crypto wallets are so important as a, as a software. Um, 
um what i was going to say is um when i this is just my my experience with zengo right so i i i downloaded it i i i created my own wallet and then it just happened so easily without all the different things that we we so used to in the crypto world i was like so what's the catch i was like it's so simple it cannot be this simple so there's something that i'm missing so that's where i i i kind of got to that that is how i mean you spoke about simplifying the narrative within crypto and and it it just beats me how so many amazing minds that's been working in this space failed to do that um so that that's a brilliant point sorry i had to say that you you are actually thing on the on the nail one problem that we actually have achieved is by trying to simplify it too much we simplified it actually to uh, we we passed the line where people can even understand it so now we're actually going a little bit backwards you will see okay. in the in the coming weeks uh, <laughs> uh evolving version that help people because i think it is important when you onboard any system of related to you need to understand a little bit how it, it works not too much but just enough so that a you feel comfortable with it and two in case of like if if you have to recover you at least understand how how you recover it right because if you make it too easy then people say all right okay i mean and then i forget by the way many crypto wallets skip completely the the backup process into their into their wallet they make it optional and what happens you know when they lose their phone or move to a new phone they say oh shit i forgot to to make the backup and this is how things happen so you need to explain a little bit those things and make them mandatory and if you simplify too much you're going to the other to the other extreme but but anyway the point is you should say a minimum i think we don't say it enough but i think we will say it enough very soon That's, that's super interesting. Just just to hop on the point, right? It, it feels like it's like when you search for a flight, and then they give you, you know, they don't tell you how many providers they are searching for. They give they give you all the results straight, and you would assume that they did not search all the right players. And this is like the same idea. It, it's almost like building an application for a human understanding their psyche every step of the way is super important. It's something that I guess to to Arun's point is something has been missing within the crypto world. Because we're so keen in the philosophy of it, I guess you you also mentioned something about you know how the world is going to become secure, simple, and eventually crypto wallet is going to be a little bit of identity in it, right? Everything that you talk about your past, you know whatever you did in your past, you want to capture in your wallet, and you can port that transferably across to everywhere in your life in every single application. One thing in the world that is secure, well, some would argue that it's not. But not simple is regulation. How are we thinking about regulation in this space? Do we actually need regulation? In my mind, what I have in mind is like if Zengo, if everyone builds with the same principle as Zengo, there's no reason to do regulation because you technically self-regulate. You're trying to make it safe for everybody, so you don't have to you know, take from someone and give it to someone else, which is the fundamental of regulation. So I would love to hear your thoughts about how regulation is evolving in this space, especially you know in the wake of our best FTX fiasco. Um, and of course, that has nothing to do with DeFi, sure, but not everybody understands that. So we'd love to hear your thoughts around regulation. Sorry, just a super long way. <laughs> of course, look, regula regulation and crypto are going to be uh, will have to end up becoming friends versus enemies. There's not going to be crypto that is unregulated. I mean. It's never going to happen. You know, 
where there is money, there are laws, and it's always going to be like that. And anyone who doesn't understand that doesn't understand how things will eventually become. There's no way around it. The, the territory of non-custodial, though, is still today and very blurry. Uh, if you are a custodial service, today there is a non, <laughs> nearly an unbearable amount of laws and, and, and processes you have to follow, uh, you know, to, to operate. And it's very, very difficult, actually, to even get started, especially after FTX. But FTX happened not because there is no regulation. It, it happens because the regulation in most developed countries are so difficult to follow that it took them to a country where the regulations were more likely enforced. So, so custodial is fairly, it, it's fairly well uh, determined, at least to this day. And I think maybe there is a lack of clarity that is not provided to the operators on certain territories in terms of qualifying certain assets and the relative class. And um, there is not enough clarity around the role of certain uh, key components like stable coins. Um, and today what we see is regulation by attacking versus by embracing. So they basically go after the players once it's too late, but they don't really engage in constructive conversation. This has to change, otherwise the industry cannot be built up. The early days of the internet was the, the same, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, but the early days, the internet was illegal in the early days of the internet in the US until it became legal. And then when you were an ISP, the, the provider of the internet, you could do whatever you want until there were laws that happened and forced you to control the sort of traffic you were servicing to the users, the security, etc., etc. Well, the same thing is going to happen, will have to happen to the industry, but it cannot happen by just hitting the players one after the other, especially if they try their best effort to make good stuff. Of course, they should go after bad players, but they should also go after uh, and collaborate with the good players so that this industry can progress. The territory of non-custodial in which we operate today is very blurry. There is very little text that is today um, specifically uh, qualifying what an, a non-custodial wallet is. What we do know is what it is not. Okay, Today, if you want to, uh, to apply for license as a crypto wallet, there is no such framework. It doesn't exist. I wish it existed because it would have made our life way simpler, but there is no such framework. And so you cannot be a money service business. You cannot be an e-money operator. You cannot be a money service transmitter. The, all those things that exist today in finance, a dealer broker, all these kind of things that exist in traditional finance do not apply when you're non-customer wallet. You are in like no man's land territory. Uh, that being said, I think it it is probably going to change. Um, if you look already at FATF, uh, they're already uh, 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 making it mandatory for exchanges and wallets, so including people like us, to, to create the proof that the recipient is the same person as the person who withdrew his funds from the exchange. So you can't withdraw to any wallet if you want. Like there will be a KYC kind of process. Still unclear how it's going to happen, but th that's the text. In, in theory, it has to happen this way. Number two, if you are in a crypto wallet, you want to make an investment. If you want to buy, if you want to sell, if you want to swap, you have to go through a KYC process. You can't, you can't do that anymore by just like pulling off your credit card and purchasing the crypto. So there is something that happens. It doesn't happen by the wallet itself, but more by a provider, but it still happens. So there is no more like Freeman's 
Freeman's playground where you can do whatever you want. However, there is still the capability of onboarding to a crypto wallet and sending transactions in and out, and no one will tell you anything because this is how crypto wallets are built. And I'm not sure the regulator will let that happen forever with no conditions. I think there will be a point where they will start to want to create some safeguards for with transaction threshold and some certain controls that crypto wallets have. Uh, maybe not as crypto exchanges do have them because we don't have accounts, we don't know the user, but they will want to know that you have a minimum of control in place uh, so that you don't let things happen in, in every and single way. Now, to be clear, this is a little bit sci-fi what I'm saying here. I don't think we're going to see that in the very short future. I think it will take many, many years. But again, it's very, very unlikely that there's going to be so much money flowing through crypto wallets and the regulator would say, all right, you guys can do whatever you want. I doubt this will be the case. Never been the case in the past. I doubt it will be the case in the future. And FATF is already an indication of that. Thank you so much. That's so, so interesting. It reminds me of how China shut down everything Bitcoin related, right? Ultimately, it's the control capital flow. And and this is exactly like you said, right? I don't think government is going to give up the only thing that they have in power to 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 control, if you will. Um, so so that's that's very interesting. Sorry, Arun, you were saying something. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree, and, and I I love the point where you spoke about um, regulations having to be more kind of a collaborative effort with innovation, um, and and that we. We I've seen that with fintech, right? I mean, uh, the fintech regulators have been a lot more collaborative and have embraced innovation more so in um, in the UK and in particularly in Singapore as well, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Whereas if you look at the US, every state had their own kind of regulation, and and that 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 didn't really do do a lot of favors for um, uh, for the growth of the field in that space. Uh, with crypto, thankfully, it's a global technology. It's generally not tied to jurisdictions. Um, so we have a little bit more leeway if, if we find unfavorable regulations for a particular toolkit or a particular part of um, what we're building. You could always move it elsewhere and, and keep building and still get the same kind of use attraction in that part of the world. So, um, but but having said that, you're right. We have to work with regulators because as the space increases in market cap, we're just a trillion dollar today. We could be 10 times that in, in a few years time. And that is not small amount and cannot be, uh, can't, it has to be regulated in some shape and for, shape or form. And always good to have controls framework when money is involved because uh, it'll help with uh, greed and fear. Um, so on that great note, um, Oriel, thank you so much for um, joining us today in our conversation. And uh, to our listeners, hope you enjoyed that discussion. And we'll be back next week with another brilliant episode of One Vision. Thank you. <laughs>